Data Doyen, the podcast for the data nerd and the data nervous. I'm Dr. Pauline Hoffman. I'm your podcast hostess. All are welcome. Welcome back to our listeners. And this week, we have a very special guest. Welcome to Ann Battaglia. She's the Chief Executive Officer of the Healthy Community Alliance. Welcome, Ann. I'm happy to be here. Um, The mission of Healthy Community Alliance, just so everybody knows, is to improve the quality of life in rural communities through broad-based inclusive partnerships that support wellness and prevention. Additionally, the vision is to be recognized throughout the region as a preeminent rural health network committed to health promotion, disease prevention, and building quality of life. And in the spirit of full disclosure, I am on the board of directors of the Healthy Community Alliance. So I wanted to share that with everybody. And the reason that I asked Anne to join us is because it's November and November is National Family Caregivers Month. And because Anne is our chief executive officer, she's very aware of some of the differences in family caregiving from an urban versus a rural environment. So I thought it'd be really interesting to have her come on and talk about some of the data that we have on this topic, as well as some of the stories that I'm sure she could share. But more importantly, if you're listening and you're thinking, I'm a caregiver, or I know someone who is, and I had no idea there were resources I just thought I had to suffer through, you know, certainly we can talk about some of the different ways that perhaps the Healthy Community Alliance or other organizations can help you so that you are not struggling alone and so that you realize that there are resources that you can use. So welcome again, Anne. (laughs) Okay, so now National Family Caregivers Month is a time to recognize and honor family caregivers across the country. So according to Caregiver Action Network, this month allows us to raise awareness of family caregiver issues, celebrate the efforts of those caregivers, educate family caregivers about self-identification, then increase the support, all of the things I mentioned that we can talk about uh, in, in this space here. So let's take a look at some data because we are a data podcast. So according to a couple of different sources, and as always, any information that I share in the podcast that's data heavy, I will put links on the website, datadoyen.com. So you can always take a look. I do have some graphics as well as some specific data that uh, you'll want to take a look at. So um, information is coming from caregiving.org, from the AARP, from the National Alliance for Caregiving, um, so they've, there've been numerous studies and surveys that have been done that, again, as I said, I'll link on the website. So, and to be clear, the data that we're talking about now is in the U.S. I may do a follow-up podcast about caregiving around the world, but right now we're talking pretty specifically about caregiving in the U.S. So according to the AARP study, the number of Americans providing unpaid care and this is unpaid. This isn't, this isn't any of us getting paid to do this care. This is all of us just volunteering, air quotes around volunteering our time. So in 2015, and this study is done every five years, in 2015, 43.5 million people in the U.S. were caregivers. That number has increased to 53 million, and that's in 2020. So that's just pre-pandemic. You know, we don't have the numbers yet unless, you know, I don't know, Anne, if you have the numbers in terms of how the pandemic has affected uh, the number of people who are caregivers, but I suspect that number's increased. Um, And nearly one in five people are providing unpaid care to an adult with health or functional needs. More Americans are caring for more than one person. So it's not as though you're caring for just mom. Maybe you're caring for mom and a special needs child 
or mom and dad, or mom and a sibling, you know, there are any number of companies, or mom and a spouse, dad and a spouse. Uh, more family caregivers are having difficulty coordinating that care. Uh, more Americans are caring for someone who has Alzheimer's or dementia. And more family caregivers report that their own health is fair or even poor. So why don't I pause here for a second? Those are some alarming numbers and some alarming statistics, but I'm sure you're seeing the, the outcome or the fallout from this. So I'll oh, pause and I'll let you jump in, please. Absolutely, Pauline. Yes. And your question about how, you know, has COVID exacerbated these numbers? Uh, I would absolutely say yes, because COVID has exacerbated any uh, health disparities or health inequities uh, is causing additional stress uh, for all of us. And when you think about those that are providing care, the um, social isolation folks are experiencing because of the pandemic, the lack of access to resources, the lack of access to place-based care, because you know certainly during the pandemic, a lot of that shut down, but then people are still very concerned about safety and, you know, infectious disease transmission and all of those worries that we all have now around the, the pandemic, they are absolutely impacting those that are caregiving at this time, even more so. And we'll talk about that too in, in a little bit. I want to expand on that, but who are the people who are providing the care? I don't think anyone listening is going to be surprised that 61% of the folks taking care of others are women. And uh, I was going to make a joke that any of us who has a husband knows that that's not even, that's of course the case. We, we, we all know how that works. Now, in terms of generations, many of them, 34%, of the people who are taking care of someone else are boomers, baby boomers. So you're talking about folks who are themselves maybe in need of, you know, caregiving. So I wonder if that statistic, I could dig deeper and and wonder if that's, you know, folks taking care of a spouse or, I mean, it certainly could be taking care of parents. And then you have Gen X, poor millennials, they're coming in and having to take care of, um, you know, a family member as well. You don't have as much uh, with Gen Z yet, they're still fairly young. And then the silent generation is the generation preceding the boomers. If you listen to the podcast a few months ago on generations, you'll know all about the generations. If not, go back and have a listen. 45% of folks have had some financial impact related to this. And we have other statistics too that note many people are losing their life savings to take care of people. And 61% of the people who are caregivers work. So these are folks who have day jobs as well. Now, most caregivers take care of a relative, 89%. 10% take care of a friend or a neighbor or a non-relative. Most are caring for a parent or a parent-in-law or for a spouse or a partner uh, in in some form. So these are the folks who need care and are being taken care of. So I'll pause again, Ann. I don't know if you want to add, maybe from something that you, you see with the Healthy Community Alliance with some of the you know, I know you offer an enormous amount of programs, and I'll put a link on the website to the Healthy Community Alliance website too, so folks can take a look for more information. But perhaps some of the stories that you or some of the folks within HCA are seeing or hearing. Yes, Pauline, we see both in the spouse caring for a spouse and um, a child caring for a parent. Those are the two 
predominant scenarios that we see. But it is not uncommon uh, for neighbors to be supporting one another, running errands for a social, socially isolated older adult or a person with a disability. And in rural communities, so often rural residents rely on each other for that. And because it oftentimes is a tight-knit community, you do see those neighbors, those non-relatives supporting their neighbors in, like I said, running to the pharmacy, running to the grocery store, um, those types of things. And I have to believe too, I mean, we were talking about COVID a little bit ago too, that, you know, as you said, you know, people are feeling isolated or they're afraid to go out to, you know, perhaps now your neighbor took care of you, but he or she's afraid to go out to the grocery store because now they've been exposed and they're coming back and giving you your groceries or perhaps your meds if they went to the drugstore and now are they putting you in danger? So I have to believe that stress level is just pretty incredible for folks too. Absolutely. Yes. Every, you know, every decision we make, it seems, has that underlying concern about safety, exposure. Am I putting my family members at risk? Am I putting my loved ones at risk? Uh, so yes, so that has impacted the informal caregiver scenario uh, because people are concerned about their, their own safety and the, the risk that it puts their loved ones in if they are out in the community and then come back to them. Well, it's interesting. I have a, a very good friend who's a former colleague from the university who I get together with for lunch every week. And she's, oh my goodness, I think she's in her 70s. I hope she, if she listens to this and she's not, she'll kill me. But I believe she's in her 70s, but her mother's still alive and her mother's in her 90s. And I remember when the pandemic really was kicking off, she and her mother lives just down the road from her. We had to stop having lunch because this is pre-vaccine you know, we had to stop having lunch because she didn't want any outside interactions because she would be taking care of her mother. And she wanted to make sure that that bubble of care was really, really small. So she was very much self-isolating and isolating she and her husband and, and her mother. And I remember I would, you know, we might, I might drop things off or pick something up and I'd have to go and meet her on the porch and sort of put it on the porch and run. I felt, you know, it was a little bit, uh, it was a bit interesting to say the least, but of course, you know, I want to make sure she's okay and her mom and they're still okay. And of course now everybody's been vaccinated. I believe they've gotten their boosters and, you know, I encourage folks, you know, on the podcast too, if that's an option for you to, to please take that option, you know, because we want to make sure people are safe because there are more caregivers than we may know. Now, well, let's talk money because a lot of people want to know. I mentioned that the caregiving is provided for free for the most part. I mean, I suppose you could charge people, but most people aren't doing that. So the value, if you economically put the value on the free care that's provided in the U.S. per year, it's estimated to be about $375 billion. And that's twice as much as is spent uh, nursing and home care services combined. That's incredible. I, I, you know, when you think, well, of course I'm going to take care of my mom. My mom helped, my mom raised me, or I'm going to take care of my spouse because those are the vows and I love them. Um, but when you put it in terms of the amount of money that you would actually be outlaying if you were paying someone else to come in and take care of them, that's a lot of money that you're giving up that you 
then are getting back, so to speak. I mean, certainly you're getting it back in terms of taking care of your loved one. But if you're working a 40-hour week, which we say 61% of the folks are, then coming home and taking care of loved one, that's almost another, that's a part-time job on top of your full-time job. Okay, so here we have some other information. So uh, more than 65 million people, we've already talked about that, take care of someone who's ill or disabled or a family member who needs extra care. The typical caregiver is a 49-year-old woman caring for her widowed 69-year-old mother. And we know, statistically speaking, women outlive men, so that's not a surprise. She's married, she's employed, and actually children too. 1.4 million children ages 8 to 18 provide care for an adult relative. And that person might be a parent or a grandparent and probably living in the same household. 20 hours per week, I mentioned that you know, this is essentially another, is a part-time job on top of your full-time job, is the average number of hours family caregivers spend taking care of their loved ones. And 51% are in their own home. 29% live with their family caregiver and 4% are in a nursing home or assisted living. So I have a lot of these statistics that are from the, the websites that I referenced that I will, or from the websites and foundations I referenced, that I will put on the website so that folks can can take a look at that. But, and as I alluded to earlier, 47% of worker, working caregivers indicate that an increase in caregiving expenses has caused them to use up all or most of their life savings. So that's, that's a lot. It, it, it is. It definitely impacts the caregiver financially. So there's a, you know, the economic impact from a workforce perspective, uh, but then the impact on the family. And, you know, caregivers might be losing days at work. So there's some lost productivity because of caregiving. Uh, They might be using some of their life savings for home renovation if they're caring for an older adult with uh, mobility issues uh, or, and, and they might be using additional funds to provide transportation to appointments that are out of the area. And we see that a lot in rural communities where an individual might have to transport a loved one 50, 60, 70 miles to a specialist. That's a, a day's a day off from work <laughs> and a round trip, you know, expense. Uh, so it, it, it's absolutely an impact economically to that family. And I hear about that too, especially where we are, and we're both in rural areas, obviously. I mean, you know, the Healthy Community Alliance is dedicated to rural health care and making sure folks have access. Um, And I'll hear that often. The next closest city for us, those listening, is Buffalo. And Buffalo, for me, I know you live closer to the city, Anne, but Buffalo for us down here where I am is an hour, at least an hour drive. So I have folks who are taking advantage of the excellent healthcare that's in Buffalo. Not that we don't have that rurally, but, you know, when you've got different services, more services, and in in a lot of cases, better services at the larger city, you know, you're right. People will take a day off and they have to go and they're spending their whole day. And I know, and people even make it an outing. They're like, well, we'll stop and have lunch here and then we'll do this. So it's not that it's a vacation, but it's your, you've got to take a day for that. You're right, for sure. And that does impact work. I do have some stats on that. American businesses can lose as much as 34 billion each year due to employees need to take care of their loved ones. Um, And caregivers 
uh, caring for elderly loved ones cost employers 8% more in healthcare costs, which is estimated to be about $13.4 billion per year. Now, a wife's hospitalization increases her husband's chance of dying within a month by 35%, and a husband's hospitalization boosts his wife's mortality risk by 44%. I mean, these are just some staggering numbers. As I said at the beginning, this isn't the feel-good podcast. <laughs> this, is, this, is, uh, this is really daunting for folks. And if anyone's listening who's a caregiver, well, first of all, if you're not a caregiver, good for you. Enjoy it while you can, because I suspect that it's going to be changing. And if you are a caregiver, we're here for you. So let's shift things around just a little bit and talk about what you can do as a caregiver, like what resources exist for caregivers, um, either at the Healthy Community Alliance and perhaps, or just in general, what are some things that you might say to caregivers to, you know, help them out? Well, Healthy Community Alliance has a multitude of partners uh, in our service area, which includes Cattaraugus County, Chautauqua County, portions of Erie County, and portions of Wyoming County. We have a program we call Caregiver Tech Solutions, which helps a caregiver through identifying what their needs might be to help alleviate some stress or some worry, and then linking that caregiver up with a technology solution to try to meet those needs. So this is particularly important in in rural areas where a caregiver may not have access to maybe a place-based respite program like an adult day program, but instead might be able to use technology to help achieve that sense of relief through either linking up with a virtual support group, maybe learning how to use technology to reconnect with friends and family that they haven't been able to because of their caregiving responsibilities, or using other technology solutions that may not be internet-based, they could provide uh, some sense of respite or an opportunity for their loved one to be able to engage in something that passes the time so the caregiver doesn't feel like they're they're on all the time. So an example of, of that that we've used are animatronic animals or animatronic infants. And we find that they can be a wonderful sense of joy and sense of comfort for an older adult, maybe one who might be experiencing some dementia. And that really provides, again, that sense of comfort for that individual. So then that caregiver might be able to get take that shower or, or run out and cut the lawn or whatever it is that they might need to do, but they're worried about leaving that loved one unattended or without some meaningful interaction. So we've been coaching through our e-respite coaching program and linking caregivers up with technology solutions that might help them with self-care for themselves or their loved one, help them achieve a sense of relief or a, 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 a break or find a tech solution that would help them maybe alleviate a worry. Maybe it's a ring doorbell or a delivery service that they might be able to access online. Again, just something to help make life feel a little bit easier from time to time. But the other thing I think is particularly important for caregivers to be thinking about is 
is finding those times when they are really enjoying their care receiver, you know, find those moments that you used to do together in any way that you can. And also think as a caregiver about the things that make you, you, what, what makes, what identifies you and try to figure out a way to reconnect with that. Because so often caregivers put their own health and their own needs aside to provide care, but we off, we have to remind caregivers that they can't provide care if they're not taking care of themselves. So focusing on their own health and then focusing on their own identity and the things that, that bring them joy, something they used to do before they became a caregiver that they wish they could do again, find a way to reconnect. Well, and it's interesting when you were, first of all, I want to go back to the animatronics and some of the other pieces, but I want to note this. I think that's incredibly important that we stress that you need to make sure that you take care of yourself. You can't take care of someone else if you're not taking care of yourself appropriately. So please take the time to do that. But I was thinking, I was interpreting this as, and I need to find, so if I'm taking care of mom, for example, what are the things that mom and I used to do, or we used to find a great deal of joy in? Maybe it was doing a puzzle or knitting together or, you know, watching a movie or something and doing those things instead of thinking about it as, oh my gosh, this is a job I have to go work and take care of mom. It's, no, I get to spend time with mom when mom may be lucid. I mean, of course, there could be other issues, you know, other medical issues that are involved there, but enjoy that time as much as you can, mindful that, yeah, it is, it can be taxing and it can be difficult. And I want to go back. I, I love the idea of these animatronic, well, not an infant necessarily, but um, the animals. I mean, I have the three dogs. Luckily, they've not barked yet. If they do, we just, you know, we just deal with that as the podcast goes along. But how do people know to get these sources? Like, how is there someone they can call? Like, do they just call you at the Healthy Community Alliance? Or, I mean, yes, we're talking very specifically about essentially Western New York or New York State here, but what if you're listening to this podcast and you're in you know, California or someplace? Are, how do people know where they can go to get these resources? Well, I would encourage people to identify their area agency on aging in their region or their county. So their office for aging, their department of aging. I mean, those um, staff are trained to assess both caregiver and older adult needs and link people up with services and supports. I know in Department of Aging in Cattaraugus County, they do have animatronic animals available and have um, been able to get them out to folks in need. Healthy Community Alliance has them as well for those that are interested in the e-respite coaching workshop. And it might be something that is gonna help provide a sense of relief and they really are engaging and charming. <laughs> they, the, the dogs, they bark, the more you pet them, the more they respond to you. And it's, you know, it's low maintenance. <laughs> I imagine but, you don't have to feed them. You're not cleaning up after them. You're just enjoying the, yeah. Oh my God. Yes. We, we do recommend that, that people don't put them on the floor because they could be a tripping hazard or a fall hazard as with anything else that's on the floor. Um, but they can really provide a sense of enjoyment and comfort to, to folks who maybe have had animals their whole life uh, and wish they could uh, again. I love that. And then you don't necessarily need to have the worry. Like one of the things I worry about is when I get older, I mean, I've always had dogs and I love them. 
oh my gosh, what happens if I die? Who takes my dogs? Whereas if you've got an animatronic animal, it's okay, that's not a worry. I'm going to enjoy this animal and then not have to worry, you know, when eventually, I mean, eventually we all will die. That's the reality. Um, I like this and I like, and what I'll do is I'll take a look and see if I can't find, I imagine some of the sites I've already mentioned in terms of where we got the data would also have uh, links to some of the, you know, offices for aging in different areas. So I'll be sure to put those links up so that folks, if you're listening in other places, can get that information. But certainly if you want to just a general resource, you can come to, you know, the Healthy Community Alliance website and that can steer you in a, in a direction as well. Um, so some of the other things that I was looking at too, because I was doing a little research myself in terms of what can you do as a caregiver? It was something else that was suggested. I'm not sure if, uh, you know, if we have, if we have these resources with HC, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure we have some outlet, but getting support from other caregivers, whether it's joining a support group or a Facebook group or some other groups where you can link up with other people going through the same thing you are to just be a support network. So that might be something important too as well. And I don't know if that's something that um, HCA offers or has links to. We, we don't offer it directly, but we do make referral to the Department of Aging. There are a couple of nursing facilities in the area that also have caregiver support groups, um, long-term care facilities that have support groups. But then there's also a resource online so there are virtual caregiver support groups that an individual could locate online and our caregiver tech solutions will link individuals up to those support groups. Uh, but I, I would encourage caregivers to definitely explore how technology can support them, whether it is through video conferencing or group Facebook groups of, of like-minded uh, individuals or those that are going through similar experiences, uh, because there are a lot of resources that are available. There are apps to improve care coordination across family members. There are certainly ways to use the internet for grocery delivery, pharmacy delivery, uh, monitoring vital signs and communicating with primary care, and certainly telemedicine and telehealth appointments, we see across the rural communities how that really benefits the caregiver when they don't need to take that full day off to take a family member to an appointment or themselves to an appointment mm -hmm. because they link up with their practitioner through telemedicine. So wonderful. You know, I think one thing that's happened with COVID and the pandemic is that it's really you know, pushed us into the technology age more than ever. And I do believe that there are wonderful ways to use technology uh, to, to help caregivers. And I'm glad you said that because I think in almost every podcast, I talk about the impact COVID's had and how it's pushing us forward in a lot of ways. And, you know, we can talk about, I mean, certainly people dying is not a good thing, but it's really, have, have, it's really forced us to take a look at a lot of different issues. And moved us forward in a really good way. And I think this is one of them by highlighting the fact that we can use these technology resources and telemedicine is something very real that we can access for people. I think it also has highlighted for us like the technology gap. So, you know, now you've got a lot of states, I want to say many of the states in some of the research I've done are really looking at 
making sure that broadband is a priority, particularly in rural areas. I mean, we don't see that as much in urban areas, but absolutely, I know you, you know, we've been dealing with it within our own rural community, the number of people who may not have access to Wi-Fi and the internet because of where they live. And, you know, that's a problem. But I think that those things are getting the attention they need and deserve, and then we'll be able to move forward in a way that I think is really good. So I, I love those points. That's perfect. Yeah, you're right. It's it's access to broadband, but also literacy and affordability. And those are the three areas that we need to always be thinking about is uh, literacy around technology use and then affordability, uh, which can be a barrier for some families, the cost of internet or the cost of technology. Absolutely, absolutely. Something else that I think people don't do often enough, and I will own that I'm guilty of this as well. I think I can do everything, right? And it, when I feel like I can't do something, then I feel, you know, less than, so to speak. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to seek that out. And I think that's something important. Caregivers, you don't have to do this by yourselves. This is something that, you know, we've talked about many of the resources. As I said, I'll link them on the website, but don't be afraid to ask for help. It's there and it's there for a reason because this is an incredibly important job, but an incredibly taxing job. So make sure that you don't, uh, you know, stop yourself from being able to move forward and say, you know what, I just can't do it all. And I do need some help. And, um, you know, so I think that's important. Make sure you do take breaks. I mean, and you've talked about taking respite, break, taking respite breaks for the caregivers. So you have to make sure that you're doing that because as we've said, you can't take care of others if you can't take care of yourself. Um, something else that's important to remember too as a caregiver, and I know many are probably figuring this out probably on the fly, but make sure that you are as organized as you possibly can be. And, and I know you mentioned some apps and certainly there are other um, other outlets uh, online and so on that you can look to that can help you to organize your medical information and organize, you know, perhaps the meds that your loved one's on or the doctors that person's seeing and, you know, other information. And I know, um, you know, myself and certainly my mom, I look after my mom a little bit too, you know, you've got the healthcare portals from her, her doctors that we can go in and access and find out, okay, what did the doctor say the last time at the visit and what are the meds and how often and you know, that sort of thing. So I think that um, you need to be able to keep those things in as organized a manner as possible, make sure your legal documents are in order, and make sure that you can effectively communicate with doctors too. I know that can be daunting too, because, you know, people, I, I think people look at doctors and they think, oh my gosh, I'm not on that level. How do I communicate with my doctor. And this is kind of embarrassing to talk about. And I can assure you having worked with doctors and I know you've worked with them too, what you're going to tell them is not the worst thing they've heard. So I think we need to remember that too, that they're here to help you. And if you don't give them all of the information, they can't do as good a job, but then also don't be afraid to ask questions and ask for clarification. So I think those things are key. And then, you know, I always used to say, keep a notebook. So you know, whatever way you want to keep your notes so that you can make sure that you are asking questions or doing your research and so on. So those are some other tips and tricks. Well, something else too that, you know, I keep seeing on different sites, and this is something important to remember, kind of along the lines of, you know, don't, don't forget to take care of yourself, but then also don't be afraid to ask for help. 
but also acknowledge that you're doing the best you can with what you have, with whatever resources you have, whether those are time resources or money resources. So cut yourself some slack and don't take it so personally. You're doing as well as you can. Just as if you ask your parents, you know, they will tell you, we did as best as we, we did as well as we could raising you, given what we had. I mean, so keep that in mind. You're doing as well as you can with the resources you have, but remember that there are always all sorts of other resources too. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Take care of yourself, get things in order, make sure you can communicate uh, effectively and cut yourself some slack. Oh my goodness. We can't stress that enough. Did you have anything else you might want to add on this topic? I guess I would just add that, you know, caregiving it can be very rewarding. And it can be a wonderful part of an individual's life. And, and it certainly is a journey because things change on a day-to-day basis. What worked today may not work tomorrow. Uh, the care receiver or your loved one's medical condition could change. And now you're, you need to do something different than you did a few days ago. So that it's important to be you know flexible. I think the point that you made about you know kind of being forgiving of yourself that maybe you didn't get it right, you know, and you weren't on your, on your best, you know, one day, you know, there's always the next day. And again, thinking about it in terms of, of a journey and um, thinking about the times that, that it is, you know, rewarding uh, and finding those moments of joy with your loved one. uh, So you can celebrate that time together. That is such a wonderful way to wind up our conversation about National Family Caregivers Month. So, I mean, a lot of the data that we had was quite depressing, as we saw, but it is important to remember, you're right, this is a journey, and we're all on this journey, and we do what we can. So, thank you for that. Do you want to switch gears a little and have a little fun? Okay, I think I told you ahead of this that one of the ways I like to end my podcasts is with an arbitrary random stat. I call it my arse. So, this, because it's we're thinking about our families and because it's it's November and we have Thanksgiving coming up, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about some of the different Thanksgiving traditions that maybe we do, but then also that we may try this year, but we may already be doing them. So what I did was I went to Country Living Magazine, one of my favorites, has 30 traditions to try this year. Now, I'm not going to talk about all 30. So what I did was I cherry picked 10 of them that I thought might be fun to talk about. So this is through the lens of the data doyen, the different traditions. So Thanksgiving is a time for us to get together with family. I think most of us feel that way. And I know it's still troubling this year. I've been reading more pieces about people asking for vaccination cards when you come in for Thanksgiving dinner because you, you want to take care of you know, the folks in the family. Um, but here are some traditions and I'll ask you and you can jump in and you can tell me if you do any of these things. So one of the things, and I'll admit that I don't, I don't really do this, but I know a lot of people do. They either play football or they watch football. I'm not playing football on Thanksgiving. That's just not, no, no. And one of the other suggestions is to take a walk. I love the idea of that, but I eat so much. And I don't know if you do this too. I eat too much to move. So I don't know where I'd be walking. I don't even want to walk to the end of the driveway and back. That's just too much on Thanksgiving. So I don't know if you do either of those things. Do you play football? And I picture you playing football. Like quarterback. I, I don't, I don't 
play football, but I do watch football. And this year, actually, our team of choice is playing on Thanksgiving Day. So that will be fun. But I like to have the game on in the afternoon. But what we watch is the Thanksgiving Macy Day Parade. You know what? That's on the list, too. (laughs) Do you watch that? Do you know what's so funny? We grew up watching that parade. And I remember when I was younger, I'm like, this is really interesting. And then there was a period of my life where I thought, this is so boring. Why are people just watching? But now I love it. I love it again. (sighs) I know. I do, too. You know, there has to be, you know, something wonderful smell wafting from the kitchen while... The Macy Day Parade, that's what we call it. The Macy Day Parade is on. Honest to God, I love it. Something else people, I mean, I know a lot of people too now are hosting Friendsgivings because they can't necessarily get together with family. So if you're not able to travel to get home necessarily, you have friends over instead, which is, in my mind, your friends are your family. So, you know, just call it Thanksgiving. Be thankful, you know, you have your friends and things. Some people apparently, and I don't know, I just have never looked. Perhaps I guess you can go buy your Christmas tree too. go to a tree farm and get your tree on Thanksgiving. I usually go. We usually go the weekend after like the weekend of Thanksgiving, but not necessarily on Thanksgiving. Again, I'm not moving on Thanksgiving, so I don't know who these people are who have all this energy. They're like, let's go take a hike and find a tree. No. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm the kind of person where I like the holidays to stay in their lane. You know? Yes. <laughs> I, I, when it's Thanksgiving, it's still orange and nuts and pumpkins and fall leaves. I don't mix Christmas until Thanksgiving is over. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I like that too. Um, using heirloom plates. My grandmother, actually, she gave me her plates. Here's what's really funny about those plates. I mean, because they're ages, ages old. If you take a look at one of those plates from what, the 30s or 40s and compare it to a plate today, First of all, I need about three of those heirloom plates to have my normal Thanksgiving meal. So that tells you why I'm not moving on Thanksgiving. But it's just so funny how, I mean, they're beautiful. They're gorgeous China, but they're small. So that can be a whole different podcast about how our plates have grown, so to speak. True. Do you use the same recipes or do you try something new? I am a traditionalist. So I like the same recipes. I, I don't get too artsy craftsy with my stuffing, but I, I like, like I said, the, the traditional flavors, the nuts, the squash, the cinnamon, the pot, the sage, you know, things, things like that. So no, I don't, I don't, I don't venture off the uh, traditional meal. I may toss in a side dish that's not traditional or that's different. Um, but that's about it. If I do it for sure. Do you break the wishbone of your turkey? Growing up, we always did. The wishbone always dried on the windowsill behind the kitchen sink. And then about a week later, mom and I would would make the wish and uh, break the wishbone. So, yeah. That's so funny because I think everybody's wishbone dried on the the windowsill because that's where (laughs) ours was too. And I remember when I was younger, I didn't understand why we couldn't break it right away. And then my dad had to explain, well, you need to let it dry. And it was, you know, I think every day as kids, we'd look and see, is it dry enough yet to, you know, nothing ever happened, but you know, you're a kid, you love all this kind of, all this kind of kitschy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you have a kid's table or do you still have a kid's table? No, we never had a kid's table. Our family wasn't that big day for the meal. So we were able to gather around the one table. 
So we didn't have a kid's table. And I was still a small, small family at that mm-hmm. meal time. We, you know, the holiday kind of extends. So we do visiting before and after, but that meal time is generally a smaller group. That's so funny. We had the kids table and I hated being at the kids table until I was an adult and realized the kids table is more fun. Anyway, um, something else that I think I might actually use. Some people suggest hosting a game night. That might be too much work. Creating a Thanksgiving pinata. And I always joked, I said on Easter, I wanted to do an Easter egg hunt, but with instead of putting candy in the eggs, putting those little miniature um, like whiskey or other liquor bottles in there for the adults. And you'd have like, you know, mayhem in the backyard. But I think you could put those little bottles in a, in a pinata on Thanksgiving and have a good old time. But that's maybe people want to do that for their tradition. I'm not entirely sure. But so that's our podcast this today. And I want to thank, first of all, thank the caregivers if you're listening. And if you are a caregiver, if you're not, you know, somebody give that person a great big hug spend some time with your families, Uh, you know, think about Thanksgiving that's coming up. And of course, all the other holidays are coming up. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you to my special guest and Natalia. It was so wonderful to have you on the program. And, you know, um, I'll have to have you back in the future because I think this was fun. So thank you. My pleasure. The show music is by Bryce Murphy. The logo design is by Liam McGurl. And for more information and to access the data discussed on this week's episode, visit datadoyen.com. Also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And the links are on the website. And if you like this podcast, tell all of your nerdy friends, have them tune in. Podcasts drop on Thursdays and the materials are available on the website by Tuesday of the same week. This podcast is sponsored by Wild Mountain Botanicals, Pippi Homestead, the Sparks Work, the Sparkworks Studio, Dog Nanny Originals, Ratchet Salon, and the Healthy Community Alliance. And to sponsor, send me a link, send me a message on the website. 